So last week, we challenged some of you to take a small step and to uh, have a daily devotional for seven days. How many of you did it? Woohoo! How many of you said you were going to do it and you didn't do it? Maybe one person. Okay. Well, what we're going to talk about today is how vital it is to have that one small step, that daily time with God. Because here's what Jesus Christ said about himself. In John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Now, he was speaking figuratively here. We know that he wasn't physically bread, but he's saying he is the ultimate bread that, that feeds your soul. He's this ultimate carbohydrate that, that, that deserves the ultimate presentation. And the challenge we have as churches is to present the bread of life to people. And so we, we here at New Life, we've said that New Life has a mandate. And there's two things we're going to do. We are going to build believers and we're going to serve seekers. Say that with me. Build believers, serve seekers. Hang on. I forgot I put this down for Tammy the other day and it's too short. There we go. Tammy said, my legs are too short. I can't touch the ground. So we had to put it down further. All right. Say it again. We're going to build believers and serve seekers. Now, many churches are set up to feed the already fed or the already convinced. Everything they do is designed around helping people know Christ more. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's not anything that helps people who are far from God come to reach him. So every week we at New Life, we're geared to, to reach believers, uh, build believers and serve seekers. And, and so we're going to do that in, in a couple of different ways. There's two distinct, distinct people that are at our church services every week. The first is Christ followers. That means you've stepped across the line of faith, that you've already given your heart to Christ. And one of our jobs is to feed you. And in the spiritual life, feeding is the word of God. The way you, the food is the word of God. That makes sense. And so we try to present to you the word of God in a creative and a compelling way every week. But there's another group of people that are here every week and they're called seekers. What is a seeker? A seeker is someone who probably has no church background, no biblical background. Maybe they went to church when they were younger. Maybe they, uh, they did that thing because mom and dad made them go, but they have no understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every week we have both. We have believers and we have seekers here. We want to build believers and serve seekers. So to do that week in and week out, we try to present the bread of life in a compelling way. Now, when you invite people over to your home, I don't know about you, but this is what we do. We work. We invite somebody to come over, whether they're just going to come sit and visit with us or whether they're going to come eat. We work, right? We do the work. The guests don't do the work when they come over. We're deferring to them. We find out what kind of food they like. We find out all these different things, and we defer to the guests. Now, when my family was younger, they're all in their teenage years now, and they're expected to know what's right. But when they were younger, family, uh, food time at our house was kind of crazy, We'd all sit around the table, but you know, when you got three little ones, when they're all under 10, somebody does something and immediately we crack up. At least I do. We used to have a friend and actually this family that came over and, and I'll just say they're a little uptight with, with the way children, you know, kids are supposed to be seen, not heard, that type of thing. And they had this big rule where you couldn't sing at the table and I knew they had the big rule and so I would just bust out in song just to mess with them. I knew they had the rule and I'd watch their kids and their kids' eyes would get big and I'd say, come on, sing with me. And they'd go... Can't do that. You know, it was just a lot of fun. <clears throat> That's just how I am. So anyway, we would have fun and sometimes food would get on the nose. Sometimes food would get all over the place. Sometimes people make bodily noises, you know, stuff like that happens and we might giggle. But before guests came over, we'd have a pep talk with our kids. We'd say, now food goes in your mouth, nowhere else. 
We would say um, no throwing the food, no burping at the table, which Janie doesn't like that anyway. But, you know, washburns are naturally gifted at burping and, and it's just it's it's a huge relief, you know. But anyway, so she would she doesn't like that. And so we'd say no burping at the table, you know, even if you think it's funny. And then we would say, use your napkin, Caleb, because like for his first five years of his life, everything was on his sleeve. He didn't even know what a napkin was for, but he figured it out. So he's, he's there now. And then we would say, close the door when you go to the bathroom. Again, Caleb, because, you know, he didn't. It, he didn't care. And we're like, it's all about the guests. Now, when we invite guests to our house, are we going soft when we're, when we're deferring to the guests? Hopefully, no. We're being good hosts, good hostesses. Well, every weekend at New Life, we are hosts to guests, people who are far from God. And in a lot of ways, we defer to them. And we're going to talk about why in a minute. Now, when we think about church on a weekend, we think about the family. There's a, there's a group of people who put on this church service. They do some incredible serving. They do a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you all never see hours and hours of things to make sure that we have a good weekend service. The band, everybody back in the children's ministry, they put on all kinds of stuff. But we also think about the guests. Those people are outside the family of God. We think about people whose lives are falling apart. We think about the couples whose marriage is about to end in divorce. We think about singles and singles who think that there is no direction and, and they are, they're battling with severe loneliness. We talk about this all the time. Loneliness makes you do dumb things, things you wouldn't normally do. We think about those people. We think about students who might be contemplating ending it all. We think about those people when we're preparing the bread of life because this is the ultimate presentation. The word of God is the biggest thing that we can do as a church family. And so we think about all of these folks and we think about the bread because the bread is the word of God. And then we think about these chairs. Now, ideally, I would have a chair there, but we got too much stuff over there. So here's here's the three chairs. Every weekend, we have three distinct set of people here. This is the non-Christian. Chair one is non-Christian. Lost people. Now, those are, that's Jesus' words. And, and the funny thing is, you know, when we try to be politically correct with people who are far from God, they don't, they don't get it because they want the truth. And Jesus called them lost people, so this represents lost people. This other chair here, this represents baby Christians. And this, and again, that's, that's the term from the scripture. Not that, not that you're, um, physically that you return to a baby status. But when you become a Christ follower, you don't know a whole lot about Christ and you have to grow up spiritual growth. And so that's the baby Christian. And then the, the third chair is the mature Christian. And um, people say, well, you know, a healthy church should be full of mature Christians. I don't think you find that in the scripture. Some people say, well, a, a healthy church should be made up of brand new baby Christians. I don't think you find that in the scripture. Because Jesus said this, Jesus about his own ministry, he said, I came to seek and to save what? Lost people. Jesus said, I am here on a mission to find people who are far from God, connect them with my heavenly father. And and the Bible says we have a ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to reconcile people who are far from God with God and help them reconcile with other people. That's our mandate from scripture. And, and Lost people love to be with Jesus. And, and my question is, do lost people love to be at our church services? If the answer is no, we have a problem. Because our heavenly father sent his son to seek and to save lost people. I believe the church should be full of thirds. Because here's what happens. If mature Christians are doing what they should be doing, they feed, they dine on the word of God. They feed during the week and they feed when we celebrate together. They push back from the table and they go out and they hand out samples of the bread of life to lost people. 
And we are convinced that if lost people come to church enough, if we present the the word of God, the bread of life in a compelling way, we're convinced that people are going to finally say, dude, this makes too much sense. In fact, I'm going to tell you that that one year, this was probably four or five years ago, which right after we got in the building, there was a guy that was coming back here. He was sitting, um, he came with his wife. His wife was a Christian. He was an atheist, an avowed atheist. He had been in Afghanistan, he'd been in war, and he'd seen a lot of stuff. And, and he came talk to me a couple of times later and just kind of told me some stuff. And I'm like, oh, job-dropping stuff. And so one day after he'd been here, maybe a year, maybe 14, 16 months, he comes walking down and he goes, did it. I said, you did what? He said, I prayed. And I went, holy cow, you prayed? Because he didn't believe in a God when he started coming. And I said, dude, I got to know. I said, why, why did you give your heart to Christ? And he said, dude, every week I would come. You would talk about something that my wife and I just argued about. And I know she didn't call you. I'm like, no, no. Or he'd say, I would have a question about Christianity. How come this? How come this? Every week for however long he came, he said, you talked about something that you could not have known was going on in my life. And he said, I believe there must be a God if you somehow knew and you address that on a Sunday morning. So we believe that if we present Christ in a compelling way, these people are eventually going to become baby Christians. And then we're going to try to help them grow up where they uh, and then they're going to move into the mature Christian seat. Hello, I'm back. You missed me, didn't you? So according to scripture, these people are hellbound. We believe that hellbound people, when you tell them the truth in a way they can understand, they're going to eventually give their hearts and their lives to Christ. They're going to become baby Christians. And then our, our, our goal is to help baby Christians grow up, become mature Christians. And we have this beautiful ecosystem going on. And baby Christians and mature Christians go outside the walls and they hand out the samples of the bread of life. Now you hand out the samples by the way you talk, by the way you do business, by the places you go, by the people you hang out with, by the Facebook posts you have. Because here's the thing. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be gut level honest with you. There's a lot of people in the baby Christian and the mature Christian chairs that have forfeited the right to hand out the bread of life, samples of the bread of life, by the way they act and by the things you put on Facebook. I mean, really? Anyone? Sometimes, honestly... Sometimes I read stuff, and, and even if you just post something from somebody else, if there's cussing in the title, why would you do that? I don't understand that. Because what you're telling others is, I promote this, or I agree with it. Because, I mean, it says, they like it, or you repost it, or what? Anyway, okay, that's, that's another thing. We'll talk about that next week, or sometime. By the way, I can't wait till we start next week. We're starting a new series called Soul Detox. You know, the, the, the world right now, detoxification of your body and cleanses and all that stuff. That's good stuff, you know, right? That's the physical realm. We're going to talk about how you have a, a spiritual cleanse in your soul. I'm, I'm pumped up about it. So I hope you'll, you'll come back for that. So we give out samples by the way we talk, way we uh, act and all of that stuff. And I'm going to tell you the most important thing a church ever does is the weekend. Do you remember when, way back when Bill Clinton was running for president, and I hear there's another Clinton running in, in 16, but anyway, we won't go there either. Um, they had a slogan the first time he ran. You remember what it was? It's the economy, stupid. Because remember George H.W. Bush said, he wouldn't raise taxes, read my lips, no new taxes. Well, then Clinton comes in, and he, their whole slogan was, 
It's the economy. And they hammered the economy, hammered the economy, hammered the economy. And eventually they won because that was one of their major points of their platform. Well, here's what we need to realize. Everything we do as the church is pointing towards the weekend. Why? Because we don't have any other time during the week when this many people are gathered together. Now, everything else is vital. Children's ministry is vital. Youth ministry is vital. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, small groups, it's all vital. But you cannot have this group of people in your home for a small group Bible study. We say this all the time. You can worship in a crowd. And, and I love worshiping with these people. Wednesday, I was kind of down. We came up here and we practiced for well over two hours. By the time we finished, just singing praises to God, my spirit was lifted and I went home a different person than when I walked in. You can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. Fellowship happens at other times. This is the, the, the time where we present the bread of life in the most compelling manner, and we partner with you. Part of our strategy as a church is to make this a time where you want to bring people who are far from God. When you hear that people are having trouble with their marriage and we have a marriage series, years ago, Janie was at a soccer game with a mom, and the mom said, do you know of any marriage conferences coming up? We had printed out a little flyer for our the very first time we ever did Marriage for Dummies series, and she goes, oh, check this out. Handed her a flyer. The lady was there that Sunday because she and her husband were having trouble. We want this church to be relevant. We believe real people have real problems, but we believe there's a real God who supplies real answers. And most of 95% of what God wants you to do is in the scripture, in his word. And so we present that and we want to partner with you. And so we work very, very hard as leaders to prepare our messages for you. Whether it's me or Joe or Casey or, or John, whoever preaches, we work very hard to feed you the bread of life because we believe it's that vital. Now, as a pastor, I actually have two jobs according to Scripture. One is to feed. I just told you about that. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. We understand that. The other is to lead. Feed and lead. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, the church he founded, and he said, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. All right, now, look at the next verse. It says, their responsibility, whose responsibility? It goes back to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors, and teachers. So, when I say their responsibility, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, that's you, Doug, because their responsibility is talking to me. I'm a pastor, all right? Ready? Their responsibility. Let's try it again. Their responsibility. All right, now, here's your part. Their responsibility, the preachers and all of those people, their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who's God's people? If you're a Christian, you say, that's me. So my responsibility is to equip God's people. Do it again. Equip God's people. That's That's you. Look what I'm supposed to do. Equip you to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. My responsibility is to feed you the bread of life and then lead you to discover your spiritual gifts so that you begin serving in the body of Christ and around our county and you begin to grow up. Because here, check this out. This is why. This will continue until we all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be what? We'll be what? Mature. Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full, complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be what? Like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every new teaching. We will be, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. When I lead and feed, you discover your spiritual gifts and you begin using them. When I don't lead and feed, then, then you're not going to be discovering those gifts. You're not going to be using them. So I'm vital, but you're just as important to the process as I am. Because if you're not using your spiritual gift, the church does not become what God wants it to be. 
If I'm not leading and feeding, the church doesn't become what it wants to be. If you're not discovering your gift and using that gift to build up the body of Christ, then the body of Christ does not become what God wants it to be. We're both vital. Now, if I'm going to lead and feed, what exactly does that look like? Especially when there's the, the far from God person, there's the baby Christian and the new Christian. And I'm just going to tell you, according to the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, we are supposed to do everything in a church service with this person in mind. Because he says, if a lost person walks off the street and comes into your service and there's chaos, or if there's all kinds of stuff going on, he said, they will think you are mad. He said, but if they come in and they can understand the bread of life, he said, they may receive that and eventually give their hearts to Christ. So everything we do depends, we, we think about this person. We want this person to understand. We do good music. We do music with a beat because we want you to clap. And it's not enough just to do music with a good beat. <laughs> that's, that's not enough. We want the, the lyrics because the lyrics are what determine whether it's Christian or not. Did you know that music is neither Christian nor non-Christian? It's just music until you put lyrics to it. And that determines whether it's of God or not. And so we want the lyrics of the music. We want this to, to honor God. Because I don't know if you know this, but a non-Christian's mind, church kind of looks like this. Put that sign up there, Ernie. That keep out sign. I don't know if, you, if you've walked to a church service lately. When at a place you don't normally go. And some of you, this first, second time you've been here and you're, you're already knowing this. Here's what we do in, in, in all the churches that I grew up in. Um, you came into a place, there were no signs, there were no people, and you walk in the door and what does everybody do? They're talking, they're talking, they look at you. It's happened to me in, in Meridian. Janie's mom's house flooded years ago and, and I dropped her off and I had to, at this restaurant and everybody in town, I'm not kidding you, everybody in town, Janie walks in, sits down at the table and, and everybody's just like, uh, I park the car and I come walking in and there's, you know, about this big, everybody stops, puts their forks and, and spoons down and looks at me. And they, they watch me until I come and I sit down with Janie and then it was like, Oh, he's with her. And then they go back to eating. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Happens in churches all the time. Some new person walks in and people either, either they'll stop and look at him or they'll completely ignore him. And I'm going to tell you, when, when a non-Christian comes to church, you know which, which chair looks the best to them? Right here or right here? It's closest to the door. If these people get weird, we can get out of here in a hurry. But what do most churches do? We, we file in from the back. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not, I kind of am, but I'm not getting on to y'all because y'all aren't always back there. But here's what a non-Christian, if it's the Super Bowl, jackpot. Woo! Church service. They're standing back there. All you people are singing and clapping. They don't know what's going on. And they see this chair and they go, I'm leaving. If I got to go to that chair, I'm out of here. And what we've said over and over as a church is we need to park on the back rows. We need to sit on the front rows. Because to a non-Christian, the most inviting chair is that one back there. Farthest away from that kook up there. That bald-headed dude that runs around and yells and says stuff. 
I try not to spit on you, but sometimes, man, I get going and it just flies. So you actually need to have a, some kind of poncho on if you're on the front row. So we need to have this environment where a lost person can walk in and feel comfortable. So we have, we dress in a, in a casual way. I love it. This is so funny. A lot of y'all will introduce me to people that come and then I'll be walking off and I'll hear them go, that's the pastor. Cause they wouldn't know otherwise. And I'm like, that's the point. I couldn't have evangelist hair if I wanted to. Actually, I'm coming out here one day with evangelist hair and just, I'm going to act like it's totally normal. We dress in a casual way because we don't want people to think you got to dress up to please God. Because who did Jesus hang out with most? Religious people who dressed like they were pleasing God or common people? We want to be common people because that's who our Lord spent his time chasing. Our job is to tear down walls so that a non-Christian can come in here and go, that's what Jesus is like? I could get into that. And we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about marriage problems. We talk about uh, pornography. We talk about sex. We talk about how to grow in Christ. We talk about prayer. We talk about all kinds of different things. There is nothing that's taboo because God, our creator, gave us natural desires. We're going to talk about when they're natural. And we're going to talk about the enemy tries to get you to do things that are sinful with your natural desires that came from God. We're just going to be open and honest about stuff. And so we want to talk about who God is, what God has done, and what God is going to do. Because here's the thing. Transfer of information is not the goal. I don't want you to walk out of a church service knowing a whole lot more Scripture and theology. Now, I will talk about Scripture and theology because I believe it is our foundation. We are, it is actually our authority. Our sole authority is the Bible. But you've got to apply it to your life. And you cannot move from this chair, once the, the, the lost person becomes a Christian, you cannot move from this chair to this chair without moving back from the table and serving. You dine on the bread of life, and then you serve. You dine on the bread of life, and then you serve. And here's the crazy thing that happens. When you serve, this unbelievable transformation takes place in your life. You don't even know it. You push back and you begin to serve and you move from baby Christian to mature Christian and then you continue to, to give the samples of the bread of life to people far from God and it's this unbelievable thing and church works right. You see, here's, here's the criteria by which we judge leadership in this church. And it comes from Jesus. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39 says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every staff member in this church is judged by this year. Are you more loving towards God than you were last year? And are you more loving towards people than you were last year? Every leader that comes into our church, we want you to be moving towards God and moving towards people. And you cannot do one without the other. Because God says, if you love me, Feed my sheep. If you love me, take care of my people. If you love me, love one another. You can't love God without loving people. You demonstrate your love for God through actions, not words. Now, what does the medical community say that you have to do if you want to live a long life? You have to diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. So it's more than just a diet. And that's what I'm telling you. It has to be more than Bible study. Some churches, it's all about Bible study. We just feed, 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 feed. And then we don't do anything. It ha- yes, it's about the Bible. It is our authority. 
We have to know the stuff. 95% of what God wants you to do is in the Bible. If you don't know it, you can't do it. But it's not enough to know it. Because look what the half-brother of Jesus said in James 2.26. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing. A corpse. He's saying faith without actions equals death. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is just feeding on the bread of life without obeying the bread of life also equals death. Thank you. I like that. By the way, I was going to tell you, when when non-Christians come in and somebody behind them goes, Amen! Scares them half to death because they don't know what that means. The only time they've ever heard that is after a meal. You know, at a prayer at the meal. What? So, that's right. I like that. Everybody knows what that, you know? Okay. We'll work on that part. Now, let me, let me pause for just a second. And let me talk about some people in our church that I call the reliables. Now, I didn't call them old reliables. And I didn't call them old faithfuls either. They're the reliables. Because liable means responsible. Re means over and over and over again. There's a group of people that serve in this church over, 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 and over, and over, and over, and over again without complaining. And I just want to say thank you. They spend countless hours preparing so that the bread of life, whether it's to you or whether it's to an infant or whether it's to a third grader, they can hear and receive the bread of life in a way that they can understand and digest. And I want to say thank you to those people. There's a group of people in our church, reliables, that are prayer warriors. That, And I'm, tell, I'm not making this up. I get texts from them and they'll say, God put you on my heart today. Just feels like something's going on and I'm praying for you. And, and that, you need those people in your life. I'm just going to tell you that. And we need more of them. But you prayer warriors who pray constantly, thank you. Um, I need to say thank you to some pastors who didn't think I was listening, but I was. Some of you probably are in the same situation. I want to say thank you to the people who do on Monday what you hear on Sunday because it's on the back of your faithfulness that the good news of Jesus depends. Thank you. Thank you for giving of yourself. Now, there's one more chair that I need to talk about. And uh, y'all see this chair coming up here? What is this chair called? Well, some of you have been here before, so you already know. If you're not talking about my sermon, what's this chair called? The high chair. But really, we call it the eye chair. Because the people who sit in this chair, it's all about me. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. And people are sitting in this chair. They actually want the pastor to turn their back on the hellbound people, on the baby Christians and the mature Christians. And just feed me. I need worship. I need this. Just feed me. Just feed me. Just feed me. And here's the really crazy thing. The attitude of the person in the eye chair is the complete opposite of mature Christianity. You think about a child here. And y'all are uncomfortable with me sitting in the chair, aren't you? <laughs> Actually, I told everybody if it breaks, you know, you'll just remember. I'm, that's, I, I, will, I will use visual aids. And if it breaks, it's okay. <clears throat> no. <laughs> you go, remember that time Doug fell on his bootay? <laughs> Maturity in the Christian life is I take the Word of God, I feed on the Word of God, I do it daily. And then I do something with it. 
there ought to be somebody you're pouring your heart and your life into. And it shouldn't just be other Christ followers. Yes, I have men, Joe and, and John, I meet with them on a regular basis. Jeff is, is one of my best friends and, and I, I bounce things off him. Our board is Jeff and Carlene and, and I always go to them with stuff. You ought to have Christ followers in your life. But you cannot, you cannot feed on the word of God and not become proud unless you're rubbing elbows with people like this. Because people who are lost, and when they begin to matter to you, you will move all of heaven and earth. You will storm the gates of hell because you desperately want this person to be in the family of God. That's the type of church God called me to build in Palestine. And I want to show you what happens if all you are is a diet and not an exercise church. First of all, put that map up there, would you, Ernie? This is the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. If all you ever do is take and you never give out, you're like the Dead Sea. How much life is in the Dead Sea? None. How much life is in the Sea of Galilee? The Sea of Galilee feeds that entire region because there's so much life in it. The difference is Sea of Galilee receives and passes on. The Dead Sea, everything flows in, nothing flows out. Question is, which one are you? Are you the Dead Sea because all you ever do is take? Or are you the Sea of Galilee? You receive and you pass on what you've received. God doesn't bless you financially just for you. God doesn't bless you spiritually just for you. God doesn't bless you emotionally, relationally just for you. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. And when the church of God figures that out, we will have unbelievable numbers of people coming to Christ. We've got to quit saying it's about me. It's not. Let me show you what happens. There's, there's a couple of verses. It's actually the same verse, but in two different translations. 1 Corinthians 8, 1b. And some of you don't know this, so I'm not being silly. When you do B, A or B, A is the first half of the verse, B is the second half of the verse. So this is the second half of 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Knowledge puffs you up with pride, but love builds up. You ever seen, you ever seen somebody that's puffed up? Bowed up? We used to... Oh, we were bad. My roommate and I in college, when we would go work out at, at, at Baylor, there were people that would come work out, and there were dudes that just would work out their upper body, and they have these little bitty toothpicks for legs, you know, and, and we'd call them sticks, you know, and, and we just, we, we would, oh, we were bad, you know. I'm surprised, surprised we didn't get beat up or shot, um, because we had nicknames for everybody in the, in the weight room, and we would laugh at the guys that would just work on one area, and, and then, then they're over there curling. Dude, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, knowledge, the Bible says, puffs you up. And then looks the, the last part it says, but love builds up. Or look at it in the New Living Translation. I love this. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. You don't, you don't regulate someone into the kingdom of God. You don't beat them over the head with the Bible into the kingdom of God. You can't Bible study someone into the kingdom of God, but you can love someone into the kingdom of God. Paul said, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. love. And when our church and our individuals become known as people who love God radically, but they demonstrate that love by loving people radically, then we'll be a different type of church. The only way to keep from becoming proud is 
to rub elbows with lost people and begin to love lost people. It'll change the way you do life. And, and let me just say this. Behavior modification is not my job. Do you know that? That's the Holy Spirit's job. And since the Holy Spirit, that job is taken, then I don't need to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm supposed to love you radically. So much so that you say, how are you doing that? Because I don't deserve your type of love. So let me introduce you to my Savior who gives me supernatural love and energy for people. Our church exists to build believers and serve seekers. And let me just, let me just draw a line in the sand. If we ever have to choose between a Christian, reaching a Christian and reaching someone who's far from God, a drug addict, someone who's, who's struggling, who, who may end their life today. If we ever have to make a choice between Christians and non-Christians, we will choose the non-Christian every time. And let me tell you why. Because I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And then I'm going to fall on my face and worship him. Every knee shall bow. But I'm going to be asked, what would you do with Jesus Christ? Gave my life to him. What would you do with everything I gave you? Because God called me to do a church for people who are far from God. And I'm going to have to stand before him and say, I did everything I could to get people into the kingdom of God. And I've got to answer to him. You do too. So God has given you a life, one life. What do you want written on your tombstone? You wasted everything on yourself or you gave everything to your Lord and Savior? That's who I want to be. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Some of you um, have never come into the kingdom of God. And we have, I, I know we have some people who are not Christ followers today. And if you're not, if you don't know where you would go if you were to die on the way home today, I just want to challenge you to pray this prayer silently in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. The Bible says that if you confess your sins... And believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart you believe and with the mouth you confess, Jesus is Lord. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant in your heart that you know you're, you're a sinner and you need to be saved, then the Bible says you are adopted into the kingdom of God today. And all of heaven rejoices. You heard everybody celebrating when Tammy was baptized Take that and multiply it by millions and millions and you have the celebration in heaven when one sinner turns to Christ. Some of you, you've, you, you know you've strayed from God and you need to get back and you know you need to make some choices that will help you get back to God. The Bible says in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So you just say, God, I am sorry I'm here again. And you start laying out your sin and you ask God to fan into flame his gifts that are inside of you and make you burn white hot for him again. God, it's my prayer that you put us on, on the path as a church that we can affect thousands, tens of thousands for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.